You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all kinds of good stuff everywhere. This episode of the show, coming to you a little bit late, had had company in town yesterday, couldn't get away to do the the rewatch that I like to do and, of course, record the episode. Couldn't do Locked On NBA either. Usually on Thursday nights, I record Locked On NBA. Had to get out of that one as well. So, But getting it to you late, nonetheless, because we had to talk about this game. Are you kidding? One of the most exciting games of the entire year. This was just a fun one. Basketball is fun. I mean, we get... You get so caught up as a as a super fan, as a diehard fan. You get so caught up in some of the like highs and lows, uh, and, and the anxiety of oh, I just want them to win. It's funny because the Nuggets are now what twenty five and eleven, and it's still it's still one of those things where like a game like this one, which if Denver would have lost, it wouldn't have been a big deal. You still kind of get so wrapped up in the nerves of it all. But when you step back and the game's over and you look at it, you just think, man, that was fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun to have a team. Uh, play at that level back and forth and and just as good as this Nuggets team is. I hope you guys are having fun out there. It's funny. I've talked about this a lot. The When people talk about, oh, the Nuggets aren't a relevant team. You know, last year we heard that from certain members of certain radio stations. They're not relevant. Wake me up when they win a playoff series. Wake me up when they win get into the playoffs. And I, I just hate that. Sen- I mean, it really, really, really bothers me when people have that, because for one, it's just lazy. And, and for two, there's so much of sports that are just so fun, the steps in the process along the way. And I hope that the Nuggets fans that have been with this show for the last several years, that have been with Denver Stiffs for the last several years, and that have sort of enjoyed all the steps along the way, I hope that you're enjoying this sort of mini reward that that we're experiencing right now, because this Nuggets team is just as good, if not better, than we thought they would be and hoped they would be and our most optimistic uh, projections painted them to be. And it's just so fun to watch. It's so fun to see a team go from the promising team where everything broke wrong last year that just got unlucky but also came up just a little bit short when it mattered to now making two or three leaps all in one season to being this true um, juggernaut in the making. And it's it's just such a special season. This episode of the show, I want to get into, um, obviously, all of my notes on this game. And then a a little note at the end, just a brief note uh, in segment three at the very end about uh, what it means that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have games like this. What does it mean? And I'm just going to tease that and save it for the very end. Before I dive into my notes, Saturday, January 12th, a week from tomorrow, we're hosting our second watch party of the year. It's going to be Saturday, January 12th at the Cherry Cricket. The Nuggets are in Phoenix to take on the Phoenix Suns, so that's a game Denver can and should win. And we're going to have Alex English in the building signing autographs, talking Nuggets, hanging out, having a good time. We're going to have prize giveaways. We co-host this event with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we always All of our watch parties, I think, from now and for the foreseeable future, of which we have, I think, three more planned this season. Um, this will be number two of five total on the year. And then, you know, playoffs, of course, we'll probably have some stuff as well. Um, but this one's going to be so much fun. The Cherry Cricket is a great location. We're going to have the pause the DJ there. The Nuggets Altitude Television broadcast crew will or, or broadcast team will be there with a camera, so they'll cut live to the event. So you're going to want to show up, be on TV, get loud. 
prize giveaways, lots of ticket giveaway. I mean, they just keep bring tons of tickets to give away. Um, so show up. You have a great chance of winning something. But most of all, it's just a good time. Come hang out with me next Saturday. It's free to attend. All ages are welcome. Saturday, January 12th. Get there at about 6.30. Um, and the game starts at 7. Should be a really good time. All right, let's dive into this. The first two plays of this game. So the Nuggets, one of the big storylines <clears throat> of this one, I fully expected them to start Paul Millsap and Gary Harris in this game. I, I, I kind of st still feel, even though Denver won, anytime you win, you just take it, the good and the bad. But I kind of feel like yeah, there was a lost opportunity or missed opportunity for Denver to start those guys in this one. And I'm kind of curious what the thought process was to not start them. But um, they go with that Torrey Craig and Mason Plumlee both in the starting lineup. And the first two plays were Jokic, turn Torrey Craig turnovers. On the first one... And, and this is where the more you play with Jokic and the more the more guys just kind of learn the expectations. And I think I always say this, and I'm the biggest Jokic stand. I get it, but I really do think half of Jokic's turnovers come from guys being in the wrong spot. Now you could say he shouldn't throw it blind passes, but part of what makes him so good is he throws so many blind passes. But that first play of the game, Tory, you know, there's like a, a roll to the rim for Mason Plumley. He sucks in a defender, uh, Tory Craig's defender, and Tory Craig rather than just go to the three point line, which would be the normal rotation, the normal floor spacing in that situation, he curls kind of towards the short corner for like a, a corner two pointer, and Jokic throws the blind pass to the corner and it goes out of bounds. So Jokic bad turnover, bad pass, but at the same time, I don't want Jokic to not throw those passes because they so often work and it's like it's like Steph Curry taking some of his wild three-pointers when they miss you go man that was a bad shot but you want him taking those because the fact that he can make those shots is what changes the entire defense so um and, and it seems to happen with Torrey Craig more than any other player those guys just need to get a little bit better chemistry the second play of the game same thing Jokic throws a bullet pass to Torrey Craig on the cut and I've talked about this in the past before Torrey Craig sometimes cuts at the wrong speed um for a passer just kind of like with a quarterback you you could think uh, if you run a cut if you run the consistent same speed all of the time on your cuts, then a, a passer kind of, again, can throw those blind passes or those quick read passes, but he always knows that you're always going at the same pace. Well, Torrey Craig has a tendency to kind of speed and slow down on his cuts or jog through a cut when he's open, and for whatever reason, Jokic just has a really hard time reading him. So he gets two turnovers to start the game. He actually had three of his five turnovers were on passes to Torrey Craig, and, and I think there's something to that. Um. With Sacramento, you have to worry about fast break points and you have to worry about turning the ball over because they're so quick in transition. Denver in that first half, I mean, they were just running a clinic on how not to play against Sacramento. They were slow to to get back on defense, not just in transition, but also after made baskets. Denver would jog back and Sacramento made them pay several times. And then also just the turnovers. Denver had a lot of them in that first half, especially in that first quarter, and that's how you let Sacramento get comfortable so Denver I thought oh man this if you remember was it earlier this season or last year I think it was last year when Denver lost to Sacramento and they had 24 or 26 turnovers I kind of thought oh god they're on pace for another one of those games where they just do everything they can to hand this one away and I kind of expected it you know I, we mentioned Paul Millsap and Gary Harris playing more minutes I think there would I always thought there would be an adjustment period so I kind of I chalked this one up to a loss I thought Denver would lose this one um, and especially early on, I thought, okay, uh, I hate being right all the time, but I was glad to be proven wrong in this one. Um, 
and and like I said, I hope it's the last time that we see this starting lineup. The starting the Denver Nuggets are so good, twenty five and eleven, and their starting lineup through this stretch with Millsap and Harris out has a negative five net rating. I mean, the Tory Craig, Mason Plumlee, Nikola Jokic trio has a negative net rating, which is hard to fathom. Um, but I, I mean, but it also makes sense. I, I've talked about it plenty on the show about what makes Jokic lineups tick, and you need to have defensive presences there, and that's why they go with Plumlee and Craig. But I think having both of them, it takes a while, while you improve the defense and, and you hopefully make it adequate, although that has not been the case over the last eight, nine games or so. Um, but that's the idea is that you bolster the defense, but it can't come at the expense of the offense, and that's what I think that lineup does. It, it, it shores up some of your defense, but it takes away what makes you special. Second game back for Gary Harris, and he looked a lot better in this one than he did in the last one. He knocked down, he came into the game and immediately knocked down two three-pointers, and it was just like, oh man, welcome back, Gary. We forget, you know, tonight's game was all about Jokic and Jamal Murray, and, and those two guys were on, and Denver doesn't lose when those two guys are on. It's, they were only on for the second half. Jokic, you know, had a good first and second half, but but Murray only a good second half, but when those two guys are on, Denver doesn't lose. I'm going to talk about that later. But we forget that sometimes when Gary Harris is on, Denver doesn't lose. I mean, sometimes he carries the team to victory. And last night in that second quarter, you kind of remember. I mean, I just keep telling people this. Denver's offense is very unselfish. They find the open guy. Just what I just want to see a game or two this season in the regular season when Jokic is on, Murray is on, Gary Harris is on, Barton is on. And we know that that can happen. Um in fact, I expect that we're going to see more than two or three games. I think we're going to see a handful of games when all of those guys are just in a nice groove because this offense produces that groove. And oh my God, you see, I just can't even fathom what'll happen. They'll be Warriors esque the the type of runs they can go on. Um, but Gary hit two in a row, and he just looked a lot better. He had some spring in his step. Uh, it was funny in the first half he missed a monster dunk, and it was a great move. He elevated. He has those big hands that he can palm the ball. And it looked like he, I don't know if he just didn't get as high as he expected or if his timing is off or whatever, but he misses it. Um, but he did have a nice dunk later on. And, and it's just good to see those. Those are the type of athletic plays that you go, okay, a guy's getting more and more uh, familiar, refamiliarized with the court and, and more confident in making those types of moves, which off of an injury, that's important. And speaking of monster dunks, we had a coast to coast from Nikola Jokic. How great was that play, man? Um, we, I think only the second dunk of the season for, for Jokic, maybe the fourth. I, I forgot to look that up. But he uh, he goes coast to coast and, for whatever reason, decided to dunk it on this one. And it, it's kind of like an energizer whenever he does. He, he only pulls that one out of the bag every, every so often. I did not love the lineup that Denver – there was a lot of rotation stuff. And it's not just the starting unit for Denver that I think needs a change. But I would love to see Plumlee back in that second unit alongside Monte Morris. I'd love to see fewer minutes for Trey Lyles. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. Um, and, and so that, that's part of why when you when you have that ugly first unit, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, well, that, that's cool because now we have Gary and, and Millsap on the bench because then you get lineups like you had the one to start the second, which I really despise. It's uh, Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley, Trey Lyles, and Paul Millsap. You look at that roster and you think, okay, Millsap is the anchor of it, but you know, Monte, does that mean the ball's out of Monte's hands? You're not running a lot of pick and roll with Millsap and Monte. 
your spot up guys then become Trey Lyles and Torrey Craig, not the most reliable guys. Where does Beasley fit into the equation? I just didn't like that. I didn't like it defensively or offensively, and it just got steamrolled in that second quarter. And that was what really that was the most important stretch of the first half, and was probably going to be the most important stretch of the game if Denver lost, um, because you go from. You know, Denver played ugly in that first quarter, but they stayed connected. They didn't fall behind. That second, you, you they immediately go on like a 10-0 run to start the second quarter, and you think, okay, now Denver's going to have to play from behind basically the whole game. And it was because of a lineup that I hope going forward, just Denver is not in position to have to play. Uh, as guys get healthier, I don't think they'll have to play. But also just if you go back to your regular starters, you probably just naturally don't find yourself into lineups that look like that. So there was also – so it was weird. Defensively, they weren't getting stops. But offensively – and offensively, they just looked clunky as hell. And the way they responded to their offense not looking good was by taking some really bad shots. Trey Lyles forced up – not really forced up threes, but he took threes within the flow of the offense early in the shot clock, which Trey Lyles shooting 20-something percent on the year, he's probably a guy that doesn't need to shoot an in-rhythm three-pointer in the first five seconds of a possession. I mean, those types of shots will open up to him at any point, so work the ball around a little bit more. Malik Beasley gunned one in, in transition. It was just it was just ugly, and I, I just don't like that lineup. Jokic get, got back in uh, to the game later on. He seemed determined in this one to knock down a three-pointer, and I really like this about Jokic. I, I'm still not convinced that this is who he will be always going forward, um, but this season, especially after the first week and a half or so, when he has been cold shooting from behind the three-point line or just anywhere on the court, you know, misses a couple post-ups or whatever, he keeps shooting, and he almost becomes more determined to get his shot to fall. And in this one, I think he missed his first three three-pointers of the game. And like I said, in years past, Jokic misses three three-pointers. He probably doesn't take a single one the rest of the game. Well, in that second quarter, he missed one, and it's like, okay, he got the ball, and he forced one and knocked it down, forced another one and knocked it down. And it was almost like he was like, no, I'm not I'm not going to allow myself to fall into a three-point shooting slump. And, and that was big for him. For that Him being willing to continue to take the shot, I think, is really, really big for Denver. Um, he had 19 points in the first half and zero assists. And this is indicative, again, I think, mostly of that starting lineup that Denver trots out. Jamal Murray was off his game in the first half, so he was 0 for 4, I think, for shooting. And But you think about it, if he is off, he's your floor spacer. Wancho is a floor spacer. Wancho was 1 for 1 in the first half of that game. The Kings clearly were going to stick close to Wancho, going to try to guard Murray um, you know, straight up, but they... You know, when you don't have to guard Torrey Craig, you don't have to guard Mason Plumley. It just it, it really limits the spacing that Denver has. And so Jokic rightfully, I think, took over scoring duties. And he was Jamal Murray set him up nicely a couple times in the first half to, to get some easy buckets. But zero assists, you want Jokic to have a much more balanced attack. And when he doesn't have guys to pass to, it just you know, that's kind of what you end up with. So to me, that was a very bad indicator. And once again, this might be a moot point because it might be fingers crossed the last time we see that lineup out of Denver it was a tale of two halves though because the second half we get uh, a completely different Jamal Murray he hit one three-pointer to like early on maybe in the, the second minute of the half and then there was a play you could hear it on your TV where he was screaming at Jokic to get him the ball not screaming but yelling like trying to get his attention as if to say hey I've I'm feeling it get me another shot real quick and so Jokic does and and he knocks down another one and it was like I, I, that was kind of the moment you knew okay he start something something's starting to 
percolate here, as as Chris Marlowe likes to say. Something was percolating there with uh, with Jamal Murray, and you could tell something was going to happen. And then him, so to open up that half, him and Jokic, or, or this actually wasn't to open, but it was quickly after the open, um, they had their own personal 11-0 run, eight of which was Jamal Murray. So he gets those two three pointers. He gets an and or he gets a he gets fouled being very aggressive driving to the basket. He started to get that little like it was funny. Scott Hastings was saying it was grumpy Murray, which I just absolutely love because yeah, he looked a little annoyed. He looked a little pissed off about something, and he just was determined to get to the basket, determined to get to his shot. And then Jokic knocks down another three, and so those two guys off of a lot of two-man action, we're able to generate looks for each other and assist towards each other. And Denver's right back, 11-0 run after being down, I think, 14 at the half or 13 at the half. Um, 11-0 run, you're right back in it. And that changed the entire game, uh, and it was great. The Kings called a timeout. And when the Nuggets, so Nuggets on defense, they get a stop. And then when they got the ball, they ran the exact same ATO. ATO is a, a, a play coming out of a timeout. They ran the same exact ATO that they ran against Phoenix. If you remember, Jamal Murray was hot to start that game, and I think he had two three-pointers and maybe a layup, and there's a timeout. And Michael Malone draws up an ATO because sometimes he always says when Jamal Murray knocks down a couple, he starts shooting in a big basket. That's the phrase he uses, meaning the hoop feels so big for Jamal Murray like he can't miss. Well, to kind of push him over the edge in that Phoenix game, and actually, this happened earlier, I believe, in the Boston game as well. You run this set where um, you get Jamal Murray kind of – it looks like he's going to cut one way off ball, and then he comes off of a, a pin-down screen for a wide-open three. Um, they ran that against Phoenix. He knocked it down, and the rest was history. Um, in this game, in the second half, you know he's already got eight points. They run that play for him. It works. They get him a wide-open three, but he actually missed it. And I thought, man, well, first of all, I love Michael Malone just having his finger on the pulse of the moment and going like – forget everything else. If we can get Jamal Murray one more three-pointer, he is going to be on fire, and then the game's over. Well, he gets him the shot. He doesn't make it. He does get the offensive rebound and ends up hitting a step-back two-pointer. So I guess we could still chalk it up to a win. You run that play, you get a lucky bounce, and Jamal Murray still gets to see the ball go through the basket again. But I'll probably put something on denverstiffs.com just kind of showing those two plays because uh, I, I love that Malone goes to that. Um... A note I have in here, Mason Plumley, I think, switches a little bit too much in the pick and roll. There are times, I, I think Mason Plumley switching out onto a big is should be more of a last resort, or onto a guard, should be more of a last resort. Not because Plumley can't do it. He's very, very good defensively. He can move his feet. But it's just still better to have him in rebounding position, to have him as a help side defender. I think he's a better help side defender than he is on ball defender. And so... I, it, that's one thing. I wonder how much the team wants him to switch very, you know, liberally, and how much they want him to sort of try just to hedge and recover, and then only do that as a last resort because he did it too much. And I'll talk about it even a little bit later uh, in the fourth quarter because there was a lot there. Um, the Kings, another low key important part of the Nuggets run in the third quarter. The Kings went to Willie Cauley Stein like five times in a row, and he missed every single time. Jokic, I, I've talked about how I think Jokic is a very good like defender one on one against other bigs, like in the post or you know uh, the pinch post or whatever. Willie Cauley Stein is not a player that Jokic struggles with. Um, defensively, Jokic has or Willie Cauley Stein has disrupted Jokic in the past, but in terms of like. You're going to try to isolate Willie Cauley-Stein on Jokic. I'll take Jokic in that uh, in that matchup every single time because 
Willie Colley-Stein's just not skilled enough, and there was a, Denver was able to get a lot of stops, but in part because, for whatever reason, they kept trying to go to Willie Colley-Stein there. Let's pick some nits here. Jamal Murray, as great as he was, he missed four free throws in this game. This will probably be, it's funny to think, this will probably be the only time in Jamal Murray's career where he misses four free throws in one game. I would, I'll bet you could, I would feel comfortable making that wager. He will not miss four free throws in a single game the rest of his career from here on out. Unless somehow he gets injured, you know, while going to the line or something like that. But um, he missed four in this one, and it's funny. He pulled out a little handgun and shot the basketball in this one. He was so frustrated. But I don't know what's going on with his free throws this year. It's Maybe there's something physical going on. His three-point percentage, other than the last four games, his three-point percentage has been really, really bad. Uh, his free throw percentage has been bad. So who knows? Maybe there's something there. But it was bizarre to see on such a good game and when he got so hot for him to uh, miss these shots. And like I said, I like Grump. Murray just kept – maybe it was good that he missed the free throw because he got even angrier, and he just – he really does kind of play better angry. It's kind of funny. Grumpy Murray. I'm all for it. Grumpy Jamal. Uh, Murray did get a bit tunnel-visioned in the second half, and it's an interesting dynamic here because Jamal Murray is a scorer at heart. He is a point guard by, by trade, but he is a scorer at heart. And in games like this one, 17 points in the third quarter, 17 points in the fourth quarter. Shooter shoot, right? That's the that's that's the mo. Shooter shoot. Jamal Murray shoots. Uh, you don't want to take that away from him. You don't want him to be this guy that's always, you know, trying to think: Should I shoot? Should I not? Because he just seems to play better when when he's just looking at to score. That being said you do have to kind of learn how to play within the framework of there were three or four times in that second half where he missed a relatively easy read or didn't get the ball to somebody he should have. And a lot of it was just because he gets, when he gets going, he's just focused on scoring. So kind of an interesting dynamic there that I don't know that's necessarily a bad thing or something that, that, that he needs to change, but I think it's just more about how the team can be constructed because he, he does kind of tend to get tunnel vision there. Guess who had the best defensive rating in this game? Defensive rating points allowed per 100 possessions. So relatively, who was the best defender when, when they were on the court? It was none other than Paul Millsap, who it is always going to be. Um, he up, you know, he's he played some good minutes in this one, but I think obviously we'll get even more and more a, as time goes on. But this is why I'm just so bullish on the Nuggets overall. Paul Millsap plays only just 22 minutes in this game, but every time he's on the court, Denver defends well. And I think next game he plays 26, 27 minutes, and it just goes up from there. And that means I think Denver is going to play better and better defensively. Torrey Craig, I talk about his spacing issues and how his defense sometimes isn't as impactful um, as maybe the numbers show. But one area he is every bit as impactful uh, is on the offensive glass. He just he just adds an extra two or three possessions every single game through hustle plays or offensive rebounds and. They're the type of offensive rebounds that tend to generate second-chance points. He just puts Denver in position to really punish the other team. It's not like tapping the ball at the rim, you know, contested, whatever. I mean, he just he sneaks in and finds the spaces to get an extra possession, not just an extra, like, quick shot or whatever. Um, so he, he's been very, very good at that. Um, Monte Morris has been off, and that's noteworthy. He only played, let me see here, 10, 10 and a half minutes in this game. 
Um, he was in the negative, uh, negative six. He had a turnover. Um, did they catch credit him with a turnover? Yeah, he had zero assists, one turnover. So he has now had probably three of his worst five games of the season over the last um, three or four games. So something to monitor with him. Uh, I still trust him completely. It's just maybe he's in a little bit of a rut. And maybe, and here's another thing, maybe with some bodies coming back and the minutes being as weird as they are, maybe – you know he's going to have to adjust to a much reduced role, and he's a guy, especially at the point guard position. Can you run a team when you're only getting 15, 20 minutes? Um, that's yet to be determined. So another adjustment for him in his game. He made a weird. The, the The other thing, not even a turnover, but the end of the third quarter, he took a shot with time left on the clock that was a bad shot. It, for whatever reason, he lost track of time. He shoots it with like four or five seconds left, gets blocked. That's how bad of a shot it was, was he had another four or five seconds he could have used to get somebody open or get himself open. Instead, he shoots a fall away, gets blocked. Bielitsa comes the other way and hits a three, but thankfully it was like 0.1 seconds too late. It was still in his fingertip, like the the barely in his fingertip by the time the buzzer sounded. So Monte Moore's not – you don't get a turnover for that, but that almost cost Denver a huge momentum blow and three points. And, and it's just plays like that that are so weird. Jamal Murray, though, sat for just two minutes um, to end the third quarter, which was a really interesting choice given the fact that he plays so many minutes. He has a bum ankle, and, uh, <laughs> and you know he was playing really, really well, but to play him 37-plus minutes in this game, it was a real risk from on Malone's part. But to his credit, you only win or lose, and you could have rested Jamal another four minutes and lost this game, and you could say, well, at least Jamal was rested. That wouldn't make any sense. So he did what he had to do to win, and that was playing him a lot. Funny moment, almost annoyingly annoying moment, but it ends up being funny because Denver won. Paul Millsap gets a jump ball with Yogi Ferrell, and um, Malik Beasley, I, I chalked this one up to Malik Beasley. I, I'm going to put this one on Twitter because it was so bizarre. Malik Beasley and Harry Giles are lined up, and you know when you circle around the jump ball, you you, you try to get position, and usually everybody's kind of like equidistant around the, the spread out equally around the circle, and for whatever reason, Harry Giles suckered Malik Beasley into completely taking himself out of position to grab the, the jump ball. Paul Millsap, you know, it was a weird tip anyway, and, and Millsap didn't get a clean look at it. But Malik Beasley should have been able to grab the ball, but he allowed Harry Giles to push him completely out of the play. It was so weird. Um, I have no idea what was going on. But Malik Beasley does some weird stuff on the court sometimes. Millsap's three. Um, was absolutely huge in this game. It was timely. Millsap just seems to be, whatever you think of him, he seems to get timely plays. Uh, he has just has a knack for that. And he had a three with seven and a half minutes to go that put Denver up four, which Denver had made that run in the third, kind of played them even the last couple minutes of the third. And then to open up the fourth, there was a little bit of momentum going back to Sacramento. And it was like, okay, is Denver, did they use too much energy coming back? Millsap's three to put Denver up four, I thought was a really good, an important sort of pivotal moment where it calmed Denver down and said, okay, now we have a four-point advantage. Let's close this thing out. You get your subs back in there, and and but you give them a little bit of a cushion to operate with, and that was absolutely huge. Jokic and Murray had one of the best halves that they have had together as a duo. Not, not the best halves the Nuggets have had, but one of the best halves those two guys have had as a duo. Um, I talked about the ATO earlier in the game to get Jamal Murray a shot in the third quarter. The best ATO actually came in the fourth quarter. You get a timeout, and Malone draws up this brilliant play that gets Jamal Murray setting a series of screens, the last of which is a back screen. And what I like 
You've got two bigs out there. I think Plumlee was out there, but it might have been Millsap. You have Millsap on the court where a team has to like understand, okay, he's a big. We have to guard him on the perimeter. But when you have Jokic as the entry passer on an ATO, now you have both of your bigs are being occupied by two very important pieces. And so that allows you as an offensive coach to use Jamal Murray and say, the defense might not be in position to help off if we use Jamal as the screener, especially as a back screener. Well, he sets a series of screens. Sure enough, it plays out exactly like that. Collie Stein has no idea that because he's guarding the inbound passer, he has no idea that he actually needs to be rotating over. Um, and Jamal Murray gets a wide-open three-pointer that he nails, and the Nuggets go up nine. At that point, the Nuggets' odds of winning were like 95%. It was a perfect ATO at the perfect moment, and the Nuggets executed it brilliantly. Jamal Murray knocked down the shot. One of Malone's best ATOs I've seen all year. Um, Gary Harris had a big time dunk in this game that I did not see coming. I talked about, he missed that one early on, but he had one where I thought he was going to get blocked. He took a little contact, exploded to the rim. Um, it's just great to see. Cause again, it's just, I think Gary Harris is probably two games away from being back to, you know, 95%, clo as close to 100% as you can hope for at this point of the year. And that's encouraging. To this game, I would say he went from, the first game, I would say he was like 50%. Uh, this game, I would say he was probably 70%. So he's, he's just moving in the right direction quickly. I kind of love that Denver could not get a whistle down the stretch. I mean, there was a lot, four or five times in the final two minutes where Denver, I thought, got and ones that just weren't called. And I kind of like it. Because Denver won, of course, they would have lost. We would have said, man, the two-minute report's going to have a, a dozen different play calls that, that you could complain about. But I like that. what I like is that Denver, for the most part, just stayed in it. Um, they looked at the ref, they complained, they did this or that, but it didn't keep them from attacking. It didn't keep them from finishing the play. As I mentioned, those were and ones. They weren't misses because Denver took contact and couldn't finish. They were just so focused and dialed in that they finished. It just happened to be that they should have also had the and one, and, and I kind of like it. Uh, I mentioned Plumlee kept switching out. The Kings were put away, and then they came back in behind some brilliant shooting. But a lot of that brilliant shooting had to do with Plumlee switching out onto Buddy Hield. And as much as you know, he does a good job moving his feet. I, again, I would just rather have a guard out there. And, and ha guards can push up more on the on a three point shooter in those situations because you have Mason Plumlee behind you as a help guy. Well, Mason Plumlee can't push up on Buddy Hield because he's got Jamal Murray behind him protecting the rim, which is obviously Jamal Murray's not a rim protector. So. I, again, it's a question I have for Malone about why they kept having Plumlee switch out as much and, and what the numbers say about that, about them doing that. Um, the camera, I have a note in here, the camera was right behind the fans, um, and that was kind of a, annoying because in the fourth quarter there was a handful of plays we couldn't see because hands fans kept like standing up and putting their hands in the camera. I think San Antonio and Sacramento are the only two arenas I noticed this in, um, but kind of annoying. Jokic, um, he was berating an official in the final like minute. So Jokic gets the foul call on a play. He gets the foul call. The referee blows the whistle, calls the foul on the defender, and then Jokic berates him. And I'm thinking, what do you want? He called the foul. There's a minute to go in the game. Why are you yelling? These are the things that Jokic has to like. Somebody has to – he needs a coach that cuts game film of him, and it has nothing to do with plays. It just has to do with all of the silly times he yells at an official and how it doesn't make any difference. In fact, if anything, it makes the has the opposite effect. So somebody needs to splice this together because that was one where I was like, what do you want from the official? He gave it to you. Um, and then that, that Jamal Murray step back three, it's funny, Sacramento made so many shots in this game that Denver maybe didn't, wouldn't have won had Murray not hit the amount of tough shots that he hit in this game. 
but he was just in a zone. He was shooting in a big basket. He knocks the step down three, and it was one of those shots that you're just like, man, not that many players can make that one. I mean, maybe 30 players in the NBA make those types of shots, uh, and that might seem like a big number, but it's not. When you talk about all the other things Denver can do and all the other talents they have on their roster, when you have a guy that can just be like, oh, this play broke down, nothing opened up, I'm going to do like a hop back three-pointer with a hand in my face, nothing but net, and then follow that up, by the way, with a pick-and-roll three in which he dribbles right into a three-pointer and gets the and-one. I mean, he was just in his bag in this game, and it was it was just incredible to watch. Uh, and I'm going to finish it off with this. I said a brief note about Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. When we talk about who's the most important players on this team, I always say, you know, Jokic number one. I think Millsap number two because, as I've mentioned, just when he's on the court, Denver's a good defense. So you have great offense when Jokic is on the court. You have great defense when Millsap's on the court. Yin and Yang, perfect. Three, I always say Gary Harris, and I still believe that when healthy. Um and then four and five, I say Will Barton and Jamal Murray in whatever order you want to throw them in. But the reason that I still stand by that, but the reason, but games like last night, you look at and you think Murray and Jokic are the two players that really matter, that that actually matter going forward. And Murray is is getting to that point. He's just so he's just this season has not been very consistent um, in being that type of guy. I still think he's been the fourth or fifth best player on on the team this year, but. On nights like last night, he's the best player on the team, and and he's one of the few guys on the team that is capable of being the best player on any given night. And he's 21 years old, and when Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are both having a good game, as they did just in the second half, the Nuggets don't lose. They just don't lose. And you think about it, Jamal Murray's 21, Jokic is 23. They are both playing great at the same time maybe one out of every 15 games right now one out of every 15 honestly it's not that often that you get that a plus game from both of them well how many times will they both have an a plus game from here on out the rest of the year i would i would think if they've had four so far i think there'll be games i think there'll be six or seven in the back half of this season um meaning more it'll become more frequently how many games will they have next year where both guys are playing at an a plus level i think it's sort of exponential it's not like i think next year it'll be quite frequently that they are that what about two years from now is it just the norm that those two guys will both be in the zone and both be consistently great at the same time and if so what does that mean for the rest of your team that means you don't need 20 points out of gary harris you don't need 20 points out of paul Millsap and will barton and all this stuff you have those two guys going and everything else becomes so easy for everyone else. Will Barton just has to sort of take over secondary playmaking duties and knock down open shots. Gary Harris just needs to spot up and cut and, and defend. Paul Millsap just needs to defend and rebound. Uh, Mason Pl- it's just Everybody else just has to do so such less because those two guys can just get to a level. And I think if you're a Nuggets fan, it, it's fun to sit here and think this team is 25-11, and 11, but the two most poor, important players on the team ha- have – rarely have these great games at the same time but it's becoming more and more frequent and i just as a nuggets fan that just makes me so excited thanks so much guys sorry for the delay in getting this one out but hey we couldn't let the whole day go by without getting a podcast so hopefully later is better than never and once again a reminder january 12th a week from saturday we are doing our watch party with the denver nuggets at the cherry cricket seven o'clock be there show up come come celebrate that game with me thanks for tuning in everybody We'll be back next time. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.